All right, kids, if you want to come on up to the front, I would love to have an opportunity to talk with you. Good morning. Good morning. Do you guys know how to read? Yes. You do? I have been practicing in school. Good. So you can read every word in the Bible now, right? Yeah, but I forgot my Bible. But you forgot your Bible. So if you don't have your Bible, how do you tell what's in the Bible to somebody? How can you tell them what's in the Bible? You can memorize. That's a good way. Well, I didn't have, I have my Bible, but I didn't bring it with me. But I have another tool that I want to show you how I can tell you about the Bible, the story that's in the Bible, just by using cards. Can I show you this? I know, but it's, it's a cool way that we can tell people about God and about the way that God wants to love us. Let me show you. What's this card? It's the Joker. How is it the Joker? Because it says, if you read the word, it says J-O-K-E-R, Joker. And this guy is the guy that causes mischief, the Joker. He's the guy that is always trying to get people in trouble. And that reminds me that there is an enemy that is always trying to get me in trouble. He's the enemy of my soul, and his name is Satan or the devil. And one of the things that happens when Satan tries to to trick me is he causes me to sin. He tempts me and then I choose to sin. And what has ha- what happens when we sin? The Bible says that every time somebody sins, it causes death. It causes them to break relationship with God. Now, this is kind of a, a interesting card. What is this card? This is the ace. See the A? That means it's an ace. And this symbol here is a spade. What color is the spade? Now, if I turn the spade upside down, what does it kind of look like? Looks kind of like a heart. So when I see the ace of spades and it's a black heart, it reminds me that the enemy of my soul, the joker, tempted me and I sinned. And as a result, my heart My soul is dark, is black because of the sin. And the Bible says that when there's sin, there's death. It literally says what you earn for doing sin is death. What I want is I want to have a heart that's alive. I want to have a heart that is the way God originally made us, to have a clean heart, to have a heart that's alive. And how can I get a heart that's alive? Well, the only way I can get a heart that's alive is if I come to the king of my heart, who is Jesus. Jesus is the king of all of our hearts. And you know what's so cool is God, the father, made it possible for us to have a clean and living heart. Because of something that Jesus did. What did Jesus do that made it possible for us to have our sins forgiven and for us to have new life in God? Do you know? 
Exactly. He died on the cross. And what happened after he died on the cross? What did they do? The Bible tells us that they took Jesus's body off the cross and they put him. They put him in a tomb or a cave, a place where dead people go. So they took the king of my heart and they put him inside a cave, inside a tomb. And what happened in that tomb? For three days, what happened? He just stayed in that tomb, right? But what happened on the third day? God, the father, made Jesus rise from the dead like this. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So let me let me let me shuffle these a little bit and see if we can do this again. Okay, I have to. Oh, that was dumb. Here. (laughs) I wasn't supposed to separate them all. I'm going to teach it to you one more time. Okay. Got it. What's this? The Joker. The Joker. And what does the Joker represent for us? The enemy of our souls, Satan. The one who's always tried to tempt us to do bad things. What happens when the enemy tempts us? Our heart turns black because we choose to sin and death happens. But our goal is to have a healthy, live heart, to have our soul cleansed again. And the only way we can have a clean heart is if we come back into right relationship with the king of our heart, Jesus. And the way we know that we can have a clean heart is that God the Father asked Jesus if he'd be willing to die on the cross. And Jesus said, yes, I'm willing to die on the cross. And after Jesus died on the cross, what did they do? They took his body down and they buried him in a tomb. But on the third day, he came back. He rose. Isn't that cool? How are you doing that? I can't tell you. That's a trick. All right, I want to pray with you guys. Jesus, it's a lot of card tricks at church. It's okay. Now, if this was 50 or 60 years ago, the Nazarenes would be having a hard time at this moment. <laughs> Let's pray. God, bless these kids. Help them to learn. Help them to learn, not just that it's a card trick, but God, that indeed you are the king of their heart and that you can bring life to them if they will just confess and repent of their sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can head back to your class. Your teacher's got you there. Or teacher's back there, I think. Yeah, I can remember many years ago when I first joined the Church of the Nazarene, we had an evangelist come to our church in West Texas. And this evangelist was a minister. He was an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene, but he also did did tricks, did magic. And... He pulled out a deck of cards and he said in the service. Now, how many of you good Nazarenes are really struggling with the fact that a minister just brought a deck of cards to church and about four or five hands shot up? They were all over the age of 50. This was 1978 because back 
in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you did not do cards. My mother-in-law, who was raised as a Nazarene pastor's daughter, she was the granddaughter of a Nazarene minister. She was married to a Nazarene minister. And then she was, um, <clears throat> then she, excuse me, she was the daughter of a Nazarene minister. And then she was married to a Nazarene minister. And she served as a pastor's wife for 32 years, right alongside her husband. She never pierced her ears and she never played with cards. And she never, until she was over 65. Then she all of a sudden learned that solitaire is really fun. <laughs> but the reality is, honestly, um, these are just symbols. That's all this is. These are just symbols. They help us to think about God. That's what symbology is. That's what symbols are. Bring up that first slide, Craig. The question I have for us this morning is, what are the symbols of our faith? Go ahead and cry out. What, what are some symbols of your faith? What are some things that make you think about God when you see them? The cross. Okay. What else? The Bible. A Bible. Okay. A crown of thorns. The Easter lily. The Easter lily. Okay. Interesting. What else? A steeple. Okay. A shepherd's staff. Anything else? And then, flat bread. Huh? Flat bread. Flat bread. Okay. There are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of symbols that make us think about God. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> there is a, there, there are some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who that's how they worship. They have what are called icons, which are images they don't worship the image, but they meditate on those images that make them think about God and think about the stories of the Bible. And it's really some of the imagery that they have is beautiful. And it's talk that, you know, like some of them are, are pictures of like, you know, Jesus uh, raising out. I mean, Jesus being laid in the tomb or or Jesus on the cross or some <clears throat> in, like like. Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac and all of these different stories in the Bible and some artist has then painted them and then these people sit and meditate on those pictures. They're not worshiping the picture, but they're looking at it and thinking about God and the story and how it relates to their life. And that's what symbology is. That's what it's all about. God gave us the ability to see something that represents to us Something about our faith. So what I wanted to talk to us about this morning is why did we choose the cross? And the reason I say that is if I show a Bible to somebody, as Elsie said, the Bible makes me think about God. Predominantly people around the world, especially in non-Christian cultures, they're not going to think about God by saying a book. If I showed somebody an Easter lily and they are not a Christian and they have not had any training as Christian, they wouldn't think about the Easter story by looking at an Easter lily. Mary has that in her own life because God has done something in her life that makes that special for her. Um, somebody else said the crown of thorns. Again, most non-Christians or people who have not been enculturated in any type of Christian uh, story or, or Christian faith, they wouldn't really correlate this ring with made out of thorn bushes with anything to do with God. But almost universally, 
almost universally, you put a cross up and people think about God, which is intriguing to me. I mean, I remember when I was in the military, I was stationed at Clark Air Base in the Philippines and I had to go to Korea for a number of times uh, on what's called TDY, temporary duty. Once it was for six weeks, once it was like two or three weeks, and once another two or three weeks. And then my wife and I also went for three weeks on vacation to Korea. So I've been in Seoul, Korea, for a, a good length of time, a number of times. And one of the things that's really interesting about Seoul is if you've never been to a major city, um, think about... Uh, pictures or movies that you've seen where you see a night scene with all of the skyscrapers and all of the lights and the images, uh, I mean, the, the, the shapes of the buildings can be seen by the windows that are illuminated. But in Seoul, and I don't know why, it's just the way it is. Every church, it doesn't necessarily have to be a particular denomination. Every church, every building that is a church has a red Neon cross on its roof. So as you look across from a hotel room, say you're, you know, five or six stories high in a hotel in Korea and you look out your window, you see this black cityscape with all of these lights of a city and throughout it, red crosses illuminating all these buildings roofs. And it's just, it's cool. I mean, I can't express to you how cool it was to think God is throughout this city. God and seeing the cross made people make me think about that. And I would venture that if you again, if you ask anybody, regardless of what their faith is or what their background is, if you show them the cross and say, what does this make you think of? Most people will say God. If they're Christian, they'll talk about the fact that Jesus died on the cross and our sins can be forgiven. But for most people, a cross represents God or faith or belief or something. And I I find that really, really interesting. Well, we are in the very last chapter of the book of Matthew as we've been going through this study. And I want to I want to look at this. Go ahead and bring up the next slide, Craig. Um, there are four Gospels, all telling the same story, each from a different perspective. And we're not going to take time. I, well, we're going to quickly take time to look at all four because there are elements in each one that I want us to, to pick up on. So Matthew chapter 28, then Mark chapter 16, then Luke chapter 24, and then John chapter 20. There's, there, the numbers are on the screen for you. So first of all, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing like clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb for with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. 
And they came and looked and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Look, turn now to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verses one through eight. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought uh, spices. So there were three women. In the first one, we only saw two women um, that brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. What are some of the differences that you see between the Matthew and the Mark um, story? Just some generic differences. It doesn't have to be anything major. I pointed one out. There were two women in the first story, in the first relation. There were three in the third one, in the second one. What's something else that you see that's not in Matthew, but's in Mark? The earthquake. The earthquake. Okay. The angel said to the ladies, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Right. Well, I will tell you, as I've said already during this sermon series that we've looked at these books, Mark was written by John Mark, who was the aide to Peter, the apostle. Scholars believe that the book of Mark was actually Mark recording all of the teaching and preaching that he heard Peter do. It makes sense then that in this telling of the resurrection, that Jesus, uh, that Mark would record that Jesus, I mean, the, the, the instruction was go tell the disciples and Peter. Why? Because as we saw two weeks ago, Peter denied Christ three times. And it was important that Peter be brought back into right relationship with God. And so in Peter's retelling of the story, he would have all the time said, and they even asked for me. They, they told them to go talk to me. Now, Mark just puts it, tell the disciples and Peter. But there's this whole rich story behind all of that, which is an aside. I, I just threw that in. You, you don't have to pay me extra for that this morning. Okay, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Let's look at the, the differences that we see here. Verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. 
And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women in with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now look at John chapter 20. Verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out on with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now let's stop there. The other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, scholars will tell you, is John, the guy who wrote this gospel. Hmm, why is it important for him to say, well, I got there first? I don't know, but that's what he said. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the rest of the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. There is one or two key things that are... That are, and I didn't say key things. I'm not talking about incidental facts. I mean, yes, it was the day after the Sabbath. Yes, it was at, at the early day. Yes, there were a number of women. Some of the stories said there was two, some there was three, some there was three plus more. They were all carrying spices. They had come with the specific intent of anointing and preparing Jesus's body properly for his burial. Um, all of that had happened. There was concern over whether or not there was going to be able to, the strength to be able to move the stone that was covering the opening. How are we going to do this? Some of them said there was an earthquake. Some said an angel came and moved it. Bottom line, though, there was a couple key things that were said in all four versions of the gospel. Number one, he is not here. He is risen from the dead. And number two, go tell his disciples what you have seen. Two key things in all four verses, all four tellings. He's not dead He is now alive. Go tell them. And let's move on. I'll come back to it in a second. Bring up the next slide, Craig. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 9. Turn with me there. First Corinthians chapter 15. Verses three through nine, the apostle Paul is writing and he says, for I delivered to you, talking to the Corinthians, as of first importance, what I also received. Okay, I delivered to you what I had received. And it was this, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So what did Paul say to us? He delivered to the Corinthians that which he received. What did he give to them? This information that Jesus, start again, that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus was raised back to life on the third day. And he said, not only did I give you this information, but I gave you people you could confirm that story with. Peter, the 12, the, the 12 apostles, there are 500 other people. And then finally, James, and then finally the apostles, and then me, myself, I saw Jesus. Jesus appeared directly to me, giving me the truth. So you need to hear what I'm telling you. Okay, let's move to the next, next one. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's right there on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Do you believe that Jesus lived? Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross? Do you believe that his death on a cross was sufficient to pay whatever penalty was due for your sins and could cleanse you from sin because of his sacrifice. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he was buried? Do you believe that he was raised to life? And do you believe that there were truly witnesses to that fact who could attest to it? Do you believe all those things? How? How You weren't there. So how do you believe it? Or why do you believe it? I would submit to you, it's because someone came to you at some point in your life and spoke those words to you. But what made you believe them? I'm sorry, say that again. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Look at first, look at Ephesians chapter one. It's not on the screen. This is, this is one that God added while I was sitting there during the worship time. Ephesians chapter one. If you look at verses 11 through 14. In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed 
with the promise with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Look at that last sentence in verses 13 and 14 in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance until we actually acquire possession of it all to the praise of his glory. And there are two other passages in, in, in second Corinthians that talk about the Holy Spirit being a guarantee, a deposit, a down payment on, on our future inheritance, which is eternal life. But when you came to Christ, when you came to faith in Christ, God gave you the Holy Spirit of God to be with you, to bring you into all truth. So you have the witness of God's own spirit leading you into truth. And that's how you are able to believe something that you did not see with your own eyes. But you can't believe it if you've never been told it. And so thousands of years later, millions of people believe because someone kept that line going. Because who was the first one to tell the story? Mary Magdalene, probably Joanna, probably Salome, probably the other Mary, but for sure, Mary Magdalene. Because she's in all four Gospels. She went just out of love for Jesus to go and do to his do for him what couldn't be done three days earlier because of the the uh, the, the, the Sabbath and all of the holy stuff, the holy day. And so the, she came on the first opportunity she had to minister to the one that she loved. And she finds out the truth from an angel of God that indeed God has raised him from the dead. And he gives her the instruction, now go and tell somebody. Go tell his disciples, go tell his friends. And that's exactly what she does. And then while she's going to do it, Jesus intersects with her. And she physically sees him and hears him and touches him. So she can say, not only did I hear from somebody else, but I have firsthand knowledge of his resurrection. Because I touched him, I heard his voice, I saw him with my own eyes. And what happened when the people heard the disciples? They couldn't believe it. They had to go see for themselves. So they ran to the tomb, Peter and John, and then one of them didn't go in, the other one went in, and then finally the, uh, the, the first one went in, and they, they proved for themselves that indeed Jesus was risen from the dead. And then they went back believing. But I would submit they were still struggling. But that evening in the upper room, John chapter 20, if you read it, you'll see Jesus appears to them and convinces them, all except for Thomas, who wasn't present at the time. And then Thomas at a later date gets brought in and, she, and Thomas is then told, touch my hands, touch my side, don't. Don't be disbelieving anymore. Believe. And he, and Peter and John said, Jesus says to Thomas at that moment, blessed are you, Thomas, for you're believing because you've seen me. But there will even be more blessing for the people who have never seen me, but who believe. How can they believe 
Someone has to tell them. So what happened was Mary Magdalene told the disciples, the disciples then believed for themselves, and then the disciples told other people. And then ultimately, on Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching to the entire city of Jerusalem, and 3,000 people come to faith. And all of those people, every single one of them, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing that which was his coming. Now, look at the next slide, Craig. 11, Hebrews 11, chapter 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The writer to Hebrews told us that faith is the evidence of believing what you can't see. And without faith, you cannot please God. Because if you want to draw near to God, you've got to believe. You've got to believe that he exists and believe that he does reward and believe that he does provide this Holy Spirit. And once you enter into that transaction through faith, you then receive from God. Now, let's go to Romans chapter... I'm bouncing all over the place, sorry, but you can look this up. I'll show it to you where you can find it online if you need to. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This is one of the ones I've memorized using to try and win people to the Lord, but read these words with me. You don't have to read them out loud. Just follow along as I read them. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's do that again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, think about this. The confession comes as a result of the belief. You wouldn't speak the confession if you didn't believe it. So you have to have the belief in your heart before you can actually take the action. James will say, you prove your faith through the action. But look at what you're supposed to be believing. Let's look at nine again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that Jesus died on a cross and your blood, his blood cleanses you from all sin. That's not what Romans says. Romans says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God had a plan for your life. That God knows what God wants. No, that's not what it says. It says that God raised him from the dead. That's what you're supposed to believe in your heart. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Craig, bring that slide up, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter, if you didn't already figure that out. Let's start at chapter 12, I mean verse 12 of 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are not, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So go back to verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Craig, bring up the next slide. This is the translation of 1 Corinthians 15, 14 out of the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible gives a little bit fuller understanding of the words. Okay, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. It amounts to nothing. And if your faith is devoid of truth and is fruitless without effect, I mean, if your faith is devoid of truth and is fruitless without effect, empty, imaginary, and unfounded... Basically what the Amplified said, and as I did a little bit of study on these words, the word futile literally means without foundation. Literally means unfounded. It's empty. It's it's just fluff. So if Christ has not been raised, everything we speak about him and everything we say we believe about him is totally without basis in fact. If there is no such thing as resurrection from the dead... And if Christ has not been raised, then why do you even bother getting up on a Sunday morning? I mean, I can think of a lot more fun things to do than sitting in a room on a Sunday morning. This is what we do, Pastor. We've done this our whole lives. I was reared in the church. I understand that. But if Christ wasn't raised, and if this is all fake, then what are we doing? So bring up that last slide, Craig. So I question this idea of symbology and going back to the very first talk, first thing we talked about. I asked you whether some of the symbols of our faith and one of the things we've identified was the cross and the cross I submitted to you was the universal symbol of Christianity. You see people wearing crosses on chains and crosses on their earrings and crosses on buildings and crosses on their walls and people put crosses on their bumper stickers and people hang crosses from their mirrors in their cars. All to remind them Of their faith in Jesus? Wouldn't it be better if we did an empty tomb as the symbol of our faith? Because I almost brought into this discussion, but we were going way too many times bouncing around. But there's a part in in James that says the demons believe and they shudder. See, it's not just a matter of believing in Jesus. It's not just a matter of believing the whole gospel story. It comes down to, do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? And that should be, I would submit, the symbol of our faith. The problem is, think about it. How do you carry around a tomb, an empty tomb? I thought, I thought well, maybe we could wear little hollow balls. You know, then you break it open and show there's nothing inside of it. But really and truly be weird. What, what would you put here in place of the cross? What, what could go there? So for whatever reason, this has become our symbol to represent the whole story. But if all you tell about is the cross and you don't tell about the resurrection... You don't have a strong foundation for the people's faith. Because it is not just that God loves you. 
and has a wonderful plan for your life. It is not just that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is not just that the wages of sin are death. It is. If you want to be in right relationship with God, you have to take all of it, all of it. And that includes God did the impossible. See, anyone could die. Anyone could shed blood. Anyone could be buried. Very few come back to life. That's the crux of Christianity. And the crux word means cross, by the way. (laughs) So when you display your crosses, don't forget to talk about the tomb. Because if you don't tell the story, there may not be a next generation to pick it up and to believe it. Let's pray. God, we are very thankful that there were faithful people ahead of us who heard the story, who owned it for themselves, who believed with their heart and confessed with their mouth. Because when they confessed with their mouth, we could hear it. I remember distinctly the young woman who asked me if I was a Christian and confronted me with my own destiny. And I am so thankful, God, that you used her to speak truth to me that made me look at my own life and recognize my sinful state and my need for a savior. But Father, it is so much more than that because I had to believe that you did the impossible and that I needed to speak it to the world because Romans says to be saved, I must believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and I must confess that Jesus is Lord. So help me, God, and help this group and help those who are listening on the internet Help us, Father, to own this, to walk this out. Help us, God, to truly show the correct symbols of our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.